Welcome to No Life to Lager. This is a show about lager beer, the brewers that make it, and we who drink it. This is a conversation between two people over one pint. My name is Adam Zuniga. I'm part of the creative team behind the Six Most Metal Breweries and Beer Like and Das Movie. I'm an advanced Cicerone, and my guest today is Ashley Carter, the head brewer and co-owner at Beerstadt Lager House in Denver, Colorado. Cheers and welcome, Ashley. Ah, thank you so much uh, for having me here. But it's over a half liter, you know, not not a pint today. Oh. <laughs> Drinking by the leader. I love it. Um, so No Life Till Lager is the celebration and exploration of all things lager. So uh, I am drinking a local lager here in uh, California. I have STS Pilsner from Russian River Brewing Company. Ashley, could you tell us about what is in your hand by the half liter? Yeah, I have a Bierstadt Hellas in the can. Uh, you know, kind of a homework out of a Bierstadt glass, which I... Love your glassware too. So it's good to see you representing there. And a great beer. Always representing. Um, always in good company. So um, I, let's get right into it. I want to know about you. Can you tell us your story? Who are you? Who is Ashley Carter? Oh, man. Uh, I, that's, a, that's a lot of things, I guess. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I'm a brewer. But, you know, outside of that, uh, you know, I love cooking. I'm a huge fan of cooking right now. I'm kind of taking on tortillas from ground corn, like straight up. Like it's my thing right now. I've just like, no matter what, every week I'm trying to make tortillas. Uh, I love my dog. You know, I'm a big dog person, no kids, uh, only skin, you know, only fur babies for me, no skin dogs. Um, I, <laughs> you know, married, uh, and basically, you know, married my business partner, married my husband's part of the brewery. So it's basically our life. You know, I live a three minute walk from the brewery. So basically kind of everything revolves around that. It's basically my living room, which you're actually in my living room right now, which is kind of weird because normally I'd be at the brewery, but it's Sunday. So it's a little noisy down there. Happy Sunday. Um, that is a very, very convenient commute, three minutes to the brewery. So um, what about beer and brewing? Was there a moment? Was there an epiphany? How did you get into beer? How did you get into craft brewing? Yeah, you know, I think um, we look about the same age. Uh, I think it's it's really interesting how people kind of our age, we kind of grew up with craft beer, right? Like we're in a very different scenario than our parents were who really didn't like grow up with that, right? My grandfather drank Milwaukee's Best. Like there was not access to craft beer and we kind of always grew up knowing about it. So especially here in Colorado, and I went to college in Asheville, North Carolina, a huge, another huge beer place. I went and lived in Michigan for a little nice. while after that, you know, with Founders and uh, Bells. So I've kind of always been around craft beer. You know, I remember my parents ordering a pitcher of Fat Tire. Like, it's always just been something I've been acutely aware of, right? Um, and also, obviously, here in Colorado, we have tons of, you know, craft breweries. A lot of people's foyer, probably anybody in California, you know, was Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Here was, you know, Fat Tire for us. So when I yeah. moved back to Colorado, I had already you know, started to drink craft beer. I had already kind of known about all these things. And I was like at this brewery called Dry Dock, which I ended up working at actually. And I had this like alt beer, which is kind of a funny style, right? It's nothing I'd really heard of. And it's not as crazy as it is now back then, you know, 10 or 11, I guess 11 or 12 years ago now. 
but you know beers were still like you know more hops still like darker like you thought like that is how you're getting into beer but honestly it was an alt beer that kind of changed my opinion about what i thought about beer like it was something low alcohol but it had more flavor than you know it kind of reminded me of a fat tire but it kind of struck me as this little tiny brewery around the corner from me was making this beer that was just very clean like it was bitter it was dry it was low alcohol and like that to me kind of got the wheels turning in my head about about maybe i would want to make beer you know the first homebrew i made was an alaskan amber clone so basically an alt beer as well and that kind of like idea that beer wasn't something crazy it didn't have to be all these ibus it didn't have to be all these uh dark or super sweet or high in alcohol was kind of the way that my brain started processing like, okay, like I really like this and I want to drink more of it. It doesn't have to be crazy, but it also doesn't have to be, you know, the key light that constantly <laughs> was in my refrigerator. You know, I was broke. Yeah. What a moment. I, I love it that you cite alt beer as a turning point. You're, you're absolutely right. Like generationally, once we became conscious, like craft beer was a part of our collective consciousness as drinkers, right? It was present. It was on the shelves. But to discover uh, an alt beer, which I feel like literally translates to like like old beer correctly, like yep. a beer that has been aged, maybe lagered over time, but it could potentially be a lager or an ale. Is that correct? Like it's an old school German style so that that somehow reached you in like modern day craft beer culture and set you on this path is amazing. Yeah, it was pretty like you know, it was down the street for me too, you know, and I kind of just started thinking about beer. Like, you know, I'd known about these big breweries, of course, but like seeing an actual tasting room and seeing like a small brewer house that was making things like that, something clicked there that it seemed like accessible, you know, like New Belgium is huge and was huge then. Like those are, you know, you get a bottle of it and you can get it in a lot of different places. But like, this was something that was made at one place and you couldn't find on on the you know shelf at at a local liquor store right because it was such a small place as a seven barrel brew house and so i don't know something just started to like turn in me about well i didn't know this could be like a career path right like i didn't know this is something that i could actually be a part of and not just just drinking it i've always had a real capacity you know i went to school uh to play soccer um in college and i didn't really know what i wanted to do but when i didn't know if i was going to get a scholarship or not, I had looked into the idea of, of the cul of culinary Institute. So I've always wanted to make something with my hands. And this just seemed like a, a, a you know, a way to do that, I guess. Yeah. Well, you're now making tortillas at home. You're now making Pilsner and all variety of lager at Bierstadt and uh, what a lap around the country. And it all kind of makes sense in retrospect <laughs> between time spent in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, in the Midwest and Michigan. You know, these are all great brewing capitals. Um, second only maybe to Denver, where you are now, of course. Yeah, and where I'm so from. So tell us a little where you're from originally. So yeah, full where I'm circle. from originally. Full circle. Tell us who is Bierstadt Lager House? Uh, so, you know, I think sometimes people look at us like we're, you know, a German style brewery. And I know with like the core beers we make and stuff like that, it definitely, we gravitate that way. But I definitely like to say that we are a lager brewery, right? That's all we make. We don't make anything but lager. And, you know, it really is my husband and I's life's work, you know, kind of put together, personified. It is, you know, everything that we think about the industry, it's everything. It is a direct 
um, it's directly us. Like it is us. Beerstadt House is us. And the things in there and the things we believe are are part of the brewery. And it couldn't be any other way. Like I could never work for somebody else. Like I'm a terrible employee. Like I always think I'm right. And I only want to do what I want to do. And I only want to, you know, do it for myself. And having Beerstadt is the way to do that. And I'm always going to be directly involved in, in every aspect of it. And in, in every single half liter of beer that goes out is, you know, my life's work in a glass. It is everything that I believe. It is a culmination of years of getting screwed over, of leaving another place that didn't appreciate what we were doing, of, you know, like it, it is just, it's us. It's everything that I, that I want in a, in a business. And, and the beer is just, you know, kind of a piece of that. Those are inspiring words. Um, not only to hear just the success and the reality of being a, a, a small business owner, uh, a true partnership between husband and wife, but also I have found similar haven working in craft beer when I felt like I could not work in any traditional scenario otherwise. You know, I was never geared toward the nine to five, toward the office environment. Being a brewer is obviously a little bit different and it's by no means nine to five. It can be more like five or six a.m. to five or six p.m. plus, you know, I feel like I read you have 30 hour brew days. You have to tell us how you managed to <laughs> sneak those those six extra hours into the day. Um, but similarly, I found a sense of purpose, fulfillment, employment in the craft beer industry that I would not, could not and still have not found otherwise. So shout to that Fantastic. and i want to speak oh thank you and tell us just a little bit more i know you said you're not strictly a like a german brewery but you are a lager brewery you are flying the flag for lagers it also says on your website we don't put gummy beers or maybe it's gummy worms <laughs> gummy worms we don't you know? judge we but we don't put gummy worms in our beer so tell us what makes bierstadt lager different especially in a market with as much beer is Denver, Colorado. Well, first of all, I want to say I really appreciate you calling it beer. Like I think sometimes people have this habit of calling things product or liquid or whatever it is. And you'd be surprised how many people like don't, you know, pay it the respect what it is. It's beer and you you consume it, right? And this idea of lager to me is, you know, we got to design this place any way we wanted to. I don't have to follow anybody else's rules. I don't have to make something that I don't want to make. I mean, the whole idea was to never put anything in a tank I didn't care about. And so I don't. I make whatever I want to, and that just happens to be lager. And I love the idea of getting to know lager yeast, uh, this very, you know, one thing, basically. I want to know a ton about this this one thing over and over and over again. I like rep uh, repeatable things. I like uh, very clean. I like to work with a couple of simple ingredients and see how they come together and see you know, for me, lager is very technique driven uh, comparatively. Like it is, of course, about the ingredients using really high quality ingredients, but where you get the flavor and where you get the different styles of beer is all in the techniques, um, not necessarily from extraneous sources, right? You're only working with these four ingredients, basically. Yeah. And we are very, very narrow in that aspect. So I think it's very cool when you look at the range of things that you can make by just making lager and just paying attention to some very specific techniques. Uh, you know, for me, I love doing it the old way, the traditional way, the long way, because um, I love making beer. And so I wouldn't do it, you know, if I didn't want to do it. Again, I don't make anything I don't want to make. I don't put anything in a tank somebody tells me to. 
I only do it for me. And I think that's kind of a, a unique process about Bierstadt. I don't listen to what other people are saying or doing or what they think I should make or if they think I should bring a beer back or how I should change it. Or, you know, I have to make an IPA because that's how you sell beer. Like, I don't have to do that and I'm not going to do that. So I think that makes us really unique is kind of our steadfastness for doing only what we want to do and nothing else. We live in a place, you know, specifically where our brewery is, there are 13 breweries within a mile of our front door. So there's, you know, a wow. ton of different breweries. There's a ton of different uh, places you can go. And I, I don't look at it like you have to come to our place and spend the whole day there. I look at it like we just have to be one of the three places you're going to you're going to visit. You know, we looked at the brewery and as an extension of ourselves and, you know, we wanted to change, you know, our, one of our stated goals was to change the way beer was uh, served in the United States. Our other goal was to only make one thing and do it as well as possible. And to basically, you know, have our brewery be a reflection of the things that we believe in, in craft beer and in beer in general. And, you know, lager, was of course the thing we were going to do because we love lagers so much, but honestly, you know, that doesn't really factor into it necessarily. I mean, we like something that a lot of other people like, you know, I say it all the time, but lagers on a 150 year winning streak. So <laughs> we, ah. you know, have that on our side uh, constantly is that people do like to drink lager. Like it's, it's, it, it doesn't really like single any group out uh, specifically. It's a, it's something that's very accessible to a lot of people. 150 years for the win. Here's to 150 more. Um, I have to second, third, and fourth everything you just said. So picking back up, first of all, yes, beer, lager, craft beer, these are not, it is a foodstuff. And there's nothing I hate more than terms like liquid, like mm -hmm. product, referring to the heart and soul that makes up beer. There's nothing I hate more than the term liquid ellipse. If you've ever been <laughs> had the good fortune of <laughs> oh attending like a, a morning sales meeting. Yeah. There is nothing I hate more than the term liquid ellipse. And it's somebody, you know, we are lucky enough to exist in a place. We're lucky enough to exist in a place where, where there there's people to sell it to and that are willing to take chances. And you know, somebody made this, like it, it came out of somebody's head, like some people, people that, you know, make this stuff all the time. And we're in the good company of, of getting back to a place where not everything is so industrial, so macro. And that goes with everything, right? Even as bad as some of our food stuff has gotten, we are finding more and more small bakeries opening up and small roasteries and things like that. And it's just part of that whole movement, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you're also right to say the 13 breweries within your doorstep, they're, they're not your competitors. They are, they are your neighbors, truly, literally your neighbors. And I'm glad there's a greater sense of community there in Denver. And I've always felt that way within craft beer. Absolutely. You know, uh, we help each other out as much as we can. And I know that, you know, being a good neighbor and being, look, we can only make so much beer. I can't possibly make enough beer to satisfy all the people willing to drink it. So we do best when we work together and when we exchange ideas or, you know, the other day my Anton Parr broke, which is $35,000 piece of equipment. So I'm kind of mad about that, but somebody else down the street had one that I could borrow while we were canning. You know what I mean? Things like that. Somebody came and watched yeah. me filter the other day, you know, so I could show them how we do it. And it's just kind of that exchange that you're not really competing with anybody because 
none of us can make enough beer to serve everybody. There's enough, there's enough people out there to drink all of our beer as long as it's made well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about how it's made, like specifically at Beerstadt Lagerhouse. What is your process? What is your approach to lagering? How do you sweat the technique? We built a brewery to make one thing and one thing only, and that's lager. You know, I don't look at our tanks like they could hold anything else. You know, sometimes say, you know, it's tying up a tank for too long or people who don't make a lot of lager look at like something else could be being made in it, right? If it ties up a tank for eight weeks, that could have had three beers in it, but that's just not our thought process because there's nothing else we could make. So beers just take what they take. You know, we bought a brew house from 1932 from Germany. Uh, it's all copper. Uh, it's about 30 barrels. So we make a lot of beer at a time. Um, we have not cylinder conicals. So we have a different shaped fermenter that also came from Germany. Uh, we have what's called a flotation tank, which is a pretty beer nerdy thing that not even a lot of people really know about. And a lot of people in Germany aren't really doing anymore. Um, it's a process that separates the cold trube and uh, our cold break and, and dead yeast and things like that. Uh, then we also have lager tanks, uh, which I have five triple size lager tanks. So they're 90-ish barrels, 85 barrels or so. And then I just got two 160 barrel lager tanks. They hold six batches on them. And so we just, and I filter everything. So we basically bought everything we could to just make this one style of beer and make it as traditionally as possible. That's incredible. I didn't shake my head there in moments of disbelief. I just cannot believe that you are built from the ground up to lager. That's it. There was never another option. Nothing else can ever be in a tank. It only makes lager. It only does one thing. The brew house itself, you know, people ask a lot why we decided to go to Germany to, to pick up a brew house, right? And, and one of the reasons is, I mean, honestly, it's really, really cool. It's really fucking cool. Like, it's a copper brew house. Like, it's awesome. Like, I'm not going to deny how awesome it is to look at and to make beer on something with that kind of historical background. But also the other thing is it, yeah. it was made to make the beers that we make, right? It was designed to do decoction. Uh, the copper is good for reducing the amount of sulfur in the beer. Like, it, it actually works as a yeast nutrient. So this brew house was made to do or having it do. It really doesn't like doing, like, big beers. Like, it really doesn't like doing uh, a lot of other things. It loves making 12 Play-Doh pale lager. Like, that's its money spot. It loves doing it. It was made to do that. Incredible. You're right that copper is a is a handsome look. And what a mm -hmm. history to inherit. As far as as far as I know, there's only a handful of breweries in the United States uh, working with copper kettles that have a copper brew house. Uh, of course, Sierra Nevada and Anchor, some of the more historical ones. I think I heard at one point maybe the original Ballast Point facility, but I can't name many others other than now Bierstadt. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, I think uh, Dovetail, I believe, has the old Weinstefan uh, kettle. Uh, and the mm -hmm. ones at Sierra Nevada and stuff like that, those are... I think they're all only copper tops anymore. They got rid of the, the bottom parts of them. Uh, and oh, Lake Lakefront in Milwaukee uh, wow. also. Yeah. So there's a few out there, but not, not a lot. <laughs> I know copper degrades over time. I mean, do these kettles have like an average lifespan or do you feel like, uh, you know, you can, you can work with it until it dies. Can you see like, years and years ahead or is it kind of a more sensitive material to work with uh it could be um so when we actually bought this brew house we had it measured uh the actual depth or like the the thickness of the bottom of the kettle they had already replaced actually a portion of the bottom of it um with stainless uh just a little 
patch, like literally like maybe the size of a Frisbee. Um, and also we changed the way it's heated as well. So it used to be direct fire. So actually fire on the bottom of it and that will thin it out over time. Um, the heat stress on it. So we actually changed it to uh, an external calandria. So the kettle itself actually just functions basically as a holding vessel and the wort and mash is actually pumped outside of the vessel through a heat exchanger to heat it up. So there's actually no heat on the actual kettle anymore. And that's how we're trying to mitigate, you know, uh, lifespan. Fascinating. That is fascinating. And I think we have to talk for a moment about slow pour pills, because I don't know if that's necessarily your flagship, your claim to fame, the, the bulk of your production. But this process you mentioned, like all these materials, all these tools, uh, I know have been geared toward making and perfecting the slow pour pills. I had it for the first time. Mm, I think it was at a pizza place called Hops and Pie. Does that sound about right in Denver? Yeah, hops and pie. Absolutely. That's a great place. Hops and pie. So uh, the best of pizza, the best of beer. It even said on the menu that slow pour pills is worth the wait. And I don't remember it taking too long, but it was well worth it. Can you tell us more about the beer itself? What is slow pour pills? Yeah, you know, it's a German style lager. Very, um, I don't know, it's kind of like our smash beer, I guess you could say. So single malt, single hop. Um, all made very traditionally, uh, single decoction, um, filtered, very bright, which is the way I like it, served in its own specific glass. And uh, by uh, unit sold, uh, it's about equal with Hellas, but by volume, Hellas is definitely our best seller um, because it comes in a half liter mug, whereas pills comes into, uh, slow pour pills comes in a, a 0.3. So by volume, we sell a lot more Hellas, but I think we're probably most known for slow pour pills. And that is the name of it. Um, it obviously refers to the technique, but it is the name of that beer. Uh, we wanted everybody to understand that we were going to do it this way. It was kind of funny. My husband, uh, Bill, when we were designing this brewery and we talked about having our beer and talked about the way we wanted to, to dispense them, because I think a lot of people forget how important that final step is. Like you think about all this time, how are you going to get your ingredients? What kind of hops? What kind of malt? Like, what are you going to do to it? And then you, at the very last thing is just like, oh, we'll put it in this glass or we'll do this with it. And like, we were very deliberate from the beginning. The entire place was made to make lager. The, the end result is as important as all the things went into it and showing you how important this beer was to us. So basically that's how it's poured all the time in europe is this very this three-step process lots of foam over the rim all that at another place we were at before i would find myself asking for our pills to be poured like that when i for me i asked the bartenders can you pour that one slowly for me even though we didn't serve it that way and so when we got the opportunity to do it for ourselves to my husband's great credit he was like we should do it for every beer and i was like every single pills and he was like yeah and i was like bartenders are gonna hate us and I don't care. That's a great uh, idea. We should definitely do that. So it is the way we want you to enjoy it the same way that we experience it, the same way that we wanted to have it ourselves. And we wanted to give that experience to the customer. And also, you know, there is something appetizing about the way it looks. Um, having a beer that looks good, uh, a glass, the way it is, especially served at, at the brewery, like it has to be a certain way. You know, you would eat a steak out of a, you know, we always say you would eat a steak out of a dog bowl, but like, doesn't it look so much better when you like 
slice it off the bone, line it up. It's medium rare. You know, you put some Maldon salt on it. Like it's an experience to drink it. And so we wanted to give you that experience as the way that we would want to experience it. And so it's really important that we give our customers the same experience that we want to have at our own place. Delicious. I loved the the pour, the presentation and the ritual around slow pour pills when I had it at Hops and Pie. And frankly, also the anticipation, the excitement, the buildup. We should take a moment to talk about how it is to properly pour a beer into a glass. And it, it can sound kind of pretentious. And there is something tactile and satisfying about holding a can in your hand, holding a bottle in your hand, of course. But Beer is having a little bit of an existential crisis at the moment. Maybe it always has. You know, there's a, there's always been some feedback and resistance about like beer is too heavy, beer is too filling. And a big part of that is because when you're drinking straight from the can, when you're drinking straight from the bottle, you know, you are, of course, drinking the bulk of CO2, the gas within it. And when you pour the beer into a glass, some of that ga gas is able to exhale. That's where you get the beautiful kind of foam top head from. So I think it is really important, really important for a proper pour into a glass. And I agree with you that beer is visual and it's meant to be appreciated. Just the sight of it should be a sight to behold. And this is by no means like an anti-IPA show or maybe not on paper, but a lot of the hazy eyes, hazy IPAs out there, they just, they look like shit in the glass. That's yes. why people emphasize drink from the can, drink from the can, drink from the can. Whereas something like slow pour pills um, obviously is meant to be appreciated because there is nothing to hide. It is accentuated and looks even better with a proper pour into proper glassware. Absolutely. You know, and I'm like a big proponent of filtration. I know a lot of people don't agree with me. They like some of the rougher things, but to me, having a filtered beer, there's just something finished about it. And it's not to say that unfiltered yeah. beer isn't, or like an STA isn't delicious or any of these other beers. But for me, the way that I like my beer uh, is I like it filtered. I, I think the visual quality of that brings something else to it. And I think I filter out the things that I don't want in the beer anymore, you know? And again, like I love drinking it off the tank and I, there's plenty of beers. I drink plenty of STS. I drink plenty of beers that are not filtered that are delicious. But for me and the way that I like our beer is I, I want it to have a certain look. And part of that look is being crystal clear. It's being able to see, read a newspaper, scan a QR code through it, NCIS fingerprint, you know, through the beer. Like to <laughs> me, that is part of the whole thing too. And so I want every single beer to, to reflect that. And I drink plenty of beer out of the can. So don't get me wrong. Um, constantly. Uh, but I love being able to, you know, pour it out and see, you know, everything and, and dissipate some of that carbonation. You know, slow pour pills is a very carbonated beer, very heavily carbonated beer. It's very heavily carbonated in the can. So it does it some justice to pour it into a glass, release some of that carbonation, releases some of that aroma, right. That's kind of been built up in there and let those bubbles kind of tickle your nose. And I think that like that foam, especially has kind of this, I always consider it like a dusty character to it. And I like that like dusty hop character that you get off the top of the foam that, you know, is different than what's in the glass. And so I think that the foam, you know, is like this entirely other property than the rest of the beer does. And by, you know, appreciating those two things separately and then together, uh, you know, it is part of the whole thing. And it kind of gives you an idea of what that beer is from start to finish. So much agreed. And it, it speaks to everything you've been saying so far about this beer as uh, this beer 
is about who we are. This beer speaks to who we are as a brewery, as a partnership, who we are. We have nothing to hide, you know? Um, I want to talk about why lager matters. It's very important and we've been hinting about it, but to you, why does lager matter? Why are we taking the time to speak to it? Why do you take the time, the 30 hour days to love and lager and labor over it at Bierstadt Lager House? Um, you know, I'm uh, always been kind of a perfectionist. I, I talk about, you know, when I was in high school, I was really into like pottery and art and stuff like that. But like the thing I was good at was like making a perfect box. Like that was what I was good at. Like when it came to decorating it, like I have no idea. Like I have no clue what to do. I don't really have like a creative bone in my body like that. I like things very clean, very straight and very organized. And lager is is definitely that. But I think it's important because when you go to like, a, if you've ever been in a beer garden, there's something about the way that like, especially low alcohol beverages, you can enjoy a few of them and and get together with people. Like I always say like, I sweat all this stuff so that somebody else doesn't have to, right? Like it's like a duck swimming, right? All the hard work goes on and I put it in a nice glass and everything. But at the end of the day, I, there's nothing more boring to me than, than people talking about beer. Like I love talking about beer because that's what I do. But like in our tasting room, I want to hear and see people talking about other things. Like I want them to come and drink a couple of beers and like sweat off their day or whatever it is. And to be able to get home, you know, safely, it's just a really good beverage for that. But, you know, the low, al low alcohol beers. And it's just a cool way. Like, we should be talking about important things. Like, it's about getting together. It's why our tasting room is designed the way it is with lots of big tables. You can bring groups in. Um, it is good for your, you know, grandparents, your cousins, your kids, or whatever it is to come in there and enjoy something that, of course, is an adult beverage but also doesn't have to, you know, mess you up and it doesn't have to be pretentious. It doesn't need a, uh, instruction manual to enjoy, right? Like you don't need to be talked into why this is good. It, it, it's something that's familiar. And I think that that's why lager continues to, I mean, it's having a renaissance, I guess, in the craft, you know, arena, but that's why it has been on a 150 year winning streak because there's something palpable. There's something beautiful about it. There's something about the flavor profile of it that kind of just fits an everyday need uh, and you don't need an occasion for it. And I think that's why, you know, to me, it's important and, you know, kind of the whole experience around it. We're of course taking this moment to talk about beer, but ultimately beer, lager beer, it is a proponent of conversation and the beer itself mm -hmm. doesn't have to be the conversation. It should be the inspiration for conversation. Correct. Talk about that politics. Talk about religion. Talk about your shitty day. Talk about everything else. Celebrate, commiserate. Like it, you know, I'm just happy that we get to be a part of it by, you know, we're not saving lives or anything, but we are, you know, hopefully bringing people together and, and getting to enjoy it. And, and for me, what beer is and what lager beer is, is I get to live my life the way that I want to. I get to travel I get to see things. I, and beer has afforded me so many opportunities and I'll never be rich and I'll probably never own my house and I'll probably always drive the same shitty ridgeline or whatever. But like I get to like interact with people and do this and, and spread the word of what I love doing. And like that to me is really exciting and important. So that's why it's important to me. What I hear you saying is that you are free. You are a free agent. Uh, who needs a nice car when you only have three minutes to the brewery? exactly there's that i mean i still own by some right. banks for sure but i don't mind uh hopefully this doesn't 
you know, hopefully in uh, five years, if I ever have to leave to Argentina, um, hopefully this doesn't come back. But I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll defraud a bank any day. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we created No Life to Lager in part as uh, the challenge kind of posed to craft beer by Anthony Bourdain. I am just going to name that name drop that here because he took a lot of pot shots at the craft beer industry and specifically the beer nerds for taking all the fun out of beer and for sitting in silence like around beer you know that beer itself becomes not the vehicle of conversation but the focus of conversation like the object of study um that's not what we want at all we want the conversation inspired by beer we want to capture those moments and of course we want to talk to people like you who are creating and facilitating them so thank you i love that you bring him up because to me like i love that he harsh the craft beer community like honestly because to me again that's not you know we talk about it of course but when you're around the table like we don't want it to be wine you know we want it to be something accessible to everybody like that at least that's how i feel right it's sitting on a shitty plastic stool eating noodles with a, a you know a plastic cup of beer like that to me that's what i love about beer too right it's, it can be everything it can be for every occasion and actually funny enough yeah. like on a couple months before he died i was rewatching a bunch of things that he was in because I love him so much. And I was like, you know, I'm going to write him. I'm going to get him on board to like, see that it's not all like that. And I wrote like a big long letter to him that I was going to like, I don't know how to send this. I don't know how to get a hold of him. Obviously it was just going to be a shot in the dark and I never got to send it. And I'm very disappointed in myself that I never got to do that before he is no longer here. So to me, I, I wanted to, show that it's not always like that that just gets we get a bad reputation that way because but for the most part we're just people making a thing and we give a shit about it yeah i think we all wish we could have had a moment or a conversation with anthony bourdain about any subject but specifically with regards to beer you know i'm not going to say it i feel like uh that notorious quote i feel like i know exactly what bar it was in san francisco that took all the fun out of beer that he was poking fun at in return but Above all, again, you're right. Like it should be a vehicle. It should be an inspiration. And what really matters most is beer as an every, everyday accessible luxury that prompts the inspiration, that prompts the conversation around it. For sure. Yeah. Well, since we name drop Bourdain, I think we should talk about food for just a moment. Great. I love food. It's one of my favorite things. You're clearly a cook at home. Tell us about what you like to pair with lager beer. Uh, first of all, every pills needs a second pills. That is number one. Um, <laughs> I think honestly, one is not enough. The only, yeah, one is not enough. Um, honestly, I think, you know, for the most part, a beer goes with, I think the only place it kind of falls down, honestly, is at dessert. Like, I don't, I think it kind of goes with everything. I think most part, I've been to a bunch of beer wine dinners, been to a bunch of beer pairings and beer is just much more diverse the way it can be paired like with wine a lot of times you're doing similar flavors right and or contr super contrasting flavors right you have a big red and a steak and all these things cut the fat all that and i think that beer just has so much more of a, a wider spread that you can you can use i never really love it with dessert but luckily for me dessert is usually scotch so i don't have to worry about pairing it with that um but i think <laughs> honestly to me <laughs> liquid dessert exactly for me honestly i think pills kind of goes with everything i mean that like it is bitter enough to cut fat 
It is dry enough to cut sweetness. It is, you know, cool enough to cool your mouth and you've eaten something spicy. Like I think that beer honestly can be paired any way you want to. Now I love a double IPA and some stinky blue cheese. I think that goes super rad together, but I also think pills goes with that just as well. But uh, maybe that's just me. I think they kind of just, I don't know, beer, pale lager goes with almost everything. If you ask me. Infinitely versatile. I think infinitely versatile. The rules of beer and food pairing are unwritten. I love it that there's no pressure to even write them. I think you're absolutely right that if you enjoy pills, you can apply it equally to any food you enjoy eating with it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So let's say it's your last meal. Uh, you're skydiving. The parachute didn't open. What do you eat? What do you drink? What do you pair together uh, in this moment? That's uh, kind of like a, a question we've been asking each other weirdly, uh, some friends of mine. Um there was like this restaurant, I guess that, and I want to say it's Denmark that only did champagne and hot dogs. And we talked about like, what would be your restaurant? So I kind of think of it in like that sense, like what would it be of one beer, you know, one drink and one food item that you could consume, you know, basically forever. And to me, it, it is pills uh, and probably either tacos or, or some sort of like noodle thing. I can't, I'm, I still go back and forth with that tacos with corn tortilla like just eating outside or you know something as some sort of stuffed noodle situation uh but definitely pills uh constantly 100 percent. pills with tacos or noodles i think in this moment um we should say you have both as a last meal um, yes i can tell you you know after meeting you for the first time and talking with you now uh my last meal it's slow pour pills maybe with uh some tacos from your housemate homemade corn tortillas there are definitely in the running so <laughs> that fantastic you can come over that anytime so thank you so is there anything else you'd like to say to beer drinkers out there both new and regular and how do we follow you then find out what's next for beerstadt lager house yeah, uh, for me, let's see, I think um, having higher expectations uh, for the bars and things like that that you're, you're going to. Um, I'm on this huge, I have been for a long time, you know, what is a beer clean glass? Like the, the thing to me is it, it doesn't have to be elevated. You go into a bar and you get a beer and it's in a dirty glass on dirty lines with no foam, right? Like these are things that yeah. I think should be considered standard, right? That people understand that. So really, you know, expecting more out of the accounts, you know, that you go to expecting more than just a diverse beer selection, expecting a certain way that beer is treated, you know, even your most trash red wine at a bar is served in a, a polished glass, right? So expecting yeah. more out of places that serve beer, not just diversity, but expecting like a higher quality of beer. And that is like kind of our soapbox here is, is trying to not elevate, like just kind of bring it to a, a standard level of knowledge about what foam is and about, you know, what a beer clean glass is and what um, clean draft lines are. So I think that, you know, us as brewers have to do that. But I think as consumers starting to understand and expect that if you get a dirty glass, it's the same as getting a dirty fork. Um, and not to be pretentious, but nobody wants to eat off a dirty fork. Why would you want to drink out of a dirty glass? Same idea. Um, as far as beer stout lager, you can find us, I don't know, everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. Uh, <laughs> we're very small. 
Um, hopefully we'll have more beer out in the marketplace, but just basically at beer.logger and you can find me on the internet pretty easy at Ren Heights could be Ash and, uh, yeah, try to update a little bit, but to be honest, we're just like a three man team. So we'll get back to you, I guess. <laughs> Fantastic. I-, I love that you brought this full circle back to not just clean glassware and the presentation around glassware and the presentation around beer, but to expect more. Uh, wherever you are, wherever you are, at the bar, at the restaurant, to expect more from the beer as it's served. I'll just say there's nothing that makes me more furious than being served beer in a dirty glass, you know, whether that's the bubbles clean to the bottom or the side, if there's lip marks around the rim. And I can tell you that everyone on the No Life to Lager team feels very much the same way. So here is to the proper pour and the proper presentation around beer, around craft beer, around slow pour pills. I'm going to say thank you so much, Ashley Carter. Thank you to Bierstadt Lagerhouse. Thank you to our producers, Jeremy Batchelor and Derek Ingber. If you like what you heard, follow No Life Till Lager, subscribe to No Life Till Lager, help us hit the road and make a better kind of beer show. Until we get there, I say good night and good lager. Cheers, Ashley. Thank you. Cheers. Zimbal. No! <laughs>